back to the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios, live at the Decoy, and your favorite drive-time sports talk, the Killer Bees. Here they are, Joel and Jeremy. He's Blank, I'm Branham, Killer Bees broadcasting live from the Decoy in Spring Branch. You're looking for the place to watch the games on Sunday, this is your spot. Great TVs all around, 24-foot indoor TV, 185-inch outdoor giant screen, uh, Day game drink specials, $3 off fire, or $3 fireballs, period. Not $3 off, just $3. Beat that. $19, 100-ounce uh, Love Street Tower and $100 Don Julio bottles as well. Uh, Raheem Morris hired by Atlanta to be their head coach, according to reports. Uh, Texans dodge a bullet there. If you want Bobby Sloak to continue to be your offense coordinator, you have two more bullets to dodge. Seattle, which doesn't seem like he's really in the race there. And then Washington, which seems like it's been Johnson's job to turn down. So that's still a couple bullets to dodge. I would say one more bullet in Washington. Fittingly enough, they well, should be called the Washington Well, you pair them up too, bullets. right? They can't interview this week during the conference championship games anyway. Washington hasn't hired a head coach. It seems like they're going to wait it out and probably at least talk to him one more time. Whether he gets it or not, it seems like he's the front runner. Yeah, so uh, we'll continue to monitor that. I, I would, yeah. So I think Sloak's the offense coordinator of the Texans next year. And I would say that... Blankers and I differ a little. I'm 5% chance he leaves. Blankers at 15% chance, but both of those odds are, are very, very low. Uh, Rockets played a basketball game yesterday, and it was a, a tell of two halves for the Houston Rockets. They had a very strong first half, which was great to see. You know, Jalen Green was playing well. Api Shingun was on pace for triple-double. They had a double-figure lead at the half. You're playing a bad team, back-to-back. Portland had, like, some controversy to their game on Tuesday, filed for a protest. So it just felt like, hey, this is a game that the Rockets are going to cruise to victory even without uh, Jabari, even without um, without Tari Eason. And you had the lead at the half, but then you gave up 41 points in the third quarter. Uh, still, even despite giving up 41 points in the third quarter, you had the lead late, just knock down free throws, play a little bit of defense, avoid some desperation threes. You win the game in regulation. Oh, Portland hit a uh, three, Jeremy Grant, uh, right at the buzzer, sent it to overtime, and then Portland dominated the overtime period, uh, outscoring the Rockets 13-7, to going to the uh, six-point win. Several, like, media types in this city uh, calling it the worst loss of the year Ackerman on the shin was calling it the uh, the worst loss of the year all of that I uh, said that the Rockets should be ashamed was one of them terrible loss for the Rockets who blew a 13 point lead against a really bad Blazers team one of the worst losses of the season for the Rockets inexcusable worst loss of the year for the Rockets Craiger didn't say that that the uh the one quote that you just said, did he? He said it, he said it was. I think he said it was the worst well, loss of the year. That's fine. Or but maybe not the one that you just. No, these were randoms. Oh, okay. These gotcha, are just gotcha, randoms yeah. on Twitter. Like, know, what are they saying around town? I know. Oh, he I talked that. Craig and Craig well enough. I think to he stay, called it. Stay I'm close not even to saying the company, the company line. Uh, he he got. He was critical. I don't think he called. He Murph might not have even Murph said the worst bad. loss. Murph was, Murph was. He referenced in the post game. He was really distraught, and he referenced uh, uh, something that I, I go to a lot, which is this is one you're going to look back at the end of the year and you're going to shake your head at and go, we wish we could have gotten that one. And th- that's the way it felt. It felt like this is one of the worst teams in the, in the league. This is a game that you're supposed to win. This is a game that you were winning, and then you found a way to lose. Look, I mean, I think Simons is an unbelievable scorer, and he had a big third quarter. But if you are supposed to be a defensive-minded team with a defensive-minded head coach, you take the ball out of his hands. You find a way to shut him down. And instead, he ran absolutely wild in the third quarter. He kind of he the veterans were turning the ball over. You expect to have mistakes by the kids, but you you look at the fact that Van Vliet and and Dylan Brooks were awful turning the ball over in the second half, and Dylan Brooks ended up finding himself sitting on the bench because he played awful all over the place. He was forcing the action on offense, and this was a team in in a micro. It, it, it was a microcosm of what's happened recently with this team. This was a team that was originally in the early part of the season one of the best defensive teams in the league. They have continued to plummet and continued to fall. And last night, you can blame a lot of what happened in the final score by the fact that they did not stop anyone. Portland did whatever they wanted, and there was obviously one key play where you can really point to it. But overall, this is a team that just seems to be reeling, not just on the defensive end, but they're now struggling again to find their identity on the offensive end because they're going away a lot of cases from Alpi. Yeah, the third quarter is where they lost this game. Yep. Like that, that it's the final few moments. You can sit there and nitpick and do all that stuff, and you know you should have what you think is the best plan. Uh, but that game was lost in the third quarter uh, for Houston yesterday, and it does bring in like for for me, I, it's hard for me to get really worked up with wins and losses about this team. Like, yeah, I want them to be in the play in, but I also feel like the absolute highest ceiling for this team 
is a first-round exit. And even a first-round exit seems daunting because if you get into the NBA uh, play-in, you're, you're going to have to win twice, right, to get into the first round, and I don't see that happening. So it's hard for me. Like, I'm kind of in uh, – I want them to win games because they don't have their own draft pick. I'm not quite full hashtag embrace the suck like I were was with the Texans. But I care far more about player development than I do these wins and losses. So it's hard for me to get as worked up as some people that I see about losing a game against Portland. Yes, it's a bad loss. Yes, they should be ashamed. Yes, it's a terrible loss. But I don't think it really impacts their growth at all. Like, in fact, I think it could actually have the opposite effect. I think it could be something that helps you uh, long term. So it's hard for me to get worked up about wins and losses this year I'm when it comes you. to the Rockets. I-, I think this is one of those years where you're not really focused on wins and losses unless you really planned on being really, really, really bad or trying to be really, really good. And I think that we saw them kind of shift gears when they wanted to figure out more about Jalen, when they wanted to change the offense a little bit from where they started early on, which was running everything through Alpi. But at the same time, they're still playing an entertaining brand of basketball. And because you now have a real coaching staff and a really legit, bona fide, good-to-great head coach, you have a guy that can absolutely get all these young guys coaching to be better. Their, his coaching staff is making these young guys develop and become better. And so it's enjoyable to watch because there's actually a system in place. Yep. But in terms of – I felt the same way you did – Yeah, that loss sucked. That's a game they absolutely should have won. But it's not like in years past when I was like, man, that could cost you the difference between home court advantage or something like that. Because I'm not looking that far ahead and seeing the Rockets with those kind of aspirations this season. No, it could cost you the 10th and the 11th spot, which, I mean, eh, play-in. I think a play-in does matter, but... Again, like the ceiling's not that high on this team. They don't have deep playoff run in them, so it's not. I'm not. It's hard for me to get worked up now. Part of me, because I like the development, I want the young guys to play. I don't love that I mean, Thompson's playing 14 minutes and Aaron Holiday's playing 30. I don't love that Cam Whitmore's playing 14 minutes and Jeff Green's playing 38. So, like, that's stuff that annoys me a little bit more uh, than, like, the actual loss. And you didn't have Jabari. You didn't, oh. have, uh, you didn't have Tari Eason, which are two of your critical role players, or, or rotation players, I should say. I'll tell you why this hurts, Jeremy, in a couple of ways. And to your point on Holiday and Green, I'm with you. But I also said up until the trade deadline, I expect to see way too much of those guys. But I see. I, I really sincerely hope that by the trade deadline, they see opportunities to cash in on getting a draft pick or a player, a young player, for you know competitive teams that are interested in guys like that, and maybe they're showcasing them. We'll see. But I think overall, when you look at this team, the one thing that's disappointing about a loss last night, not the win or the loss, you got a better coaching staff. I just got done talking about what they're doing to develop this. But I'm Ime Adoka and his coaching staff is not supposed to let a game like that get away. They're supposed to be. You know these battle-tested guys, and especially Udoka taking the team to the title, to the to, to the finals, should have been a guy that says, "Look, I just made a couple of things. If I just do a couple of things differently, there, we don't lose that game. We make some adjustments defensively in the third quarter on Simons and maybe Grant. You look at the way that they handled down the stretch the final two three minutes. They could have done some things differently to where that the outcome could have been a lot more favorable." But that's disappointing. I could see Steven Silas and his staff making those kind of mistakes. I just didn't expect to see some of the mistakes I saw from Udoka and his staff. Here's the, uh, the last play of regulation that sent the game to overtime. Out of time to get the ball in. Inbound to Grant. Desperation three for the time. Bang! He banked it in to tie the game! That was uh, the Portland call of the shot by Jeremy Grant. Uh, to knock in the three that sent the game into overtime. It, it's the it's the age-old debate. Up three, second and a half, 1.6 to be exact. Do you foul? There's no doubt in my mind you do. And I think because they're so particular about the gather, too, this is something where Van Gundy never believed in it. He never thought when, when he was coaching the Rockets that it was the right thing to do. I think, and then we started getting into it, because Craig and I used to talk about it, that there was a window that, when we started actually asking Van, Dun- Van Gunning and the coaching staff, like, when do you or don't you or when would you consider it, as the, the window of time shrinks, the possibility becomes greater that even a, a coach like Van Gundy might think about doing it. But it's like five seconds or less might be too much. But three seconds or less, you got to think about fouling. Last night, the first thing that came to my mind with 1.6 on the clock is they, don't, they shouldn't even get a three up. And you just make sure that on the inbound pass, before they even have a chance to catch it, gather it, and shoot it up, that's when you can – the ball's in bounds. It's, it's, it's on its way there. 
there is a way to foul where you will not lose that game because you make the foul on the perimeter, they get two shots, the clock's going to run way down, you're not going to lose that game. I fully believe that you should foul there, and I fully believe that they made a mistake not doing it. See, there's a couple things in play here. I usually err on this. I think it's case by case. I think that there's way more than just, like, it's to me it's more than just binary, yes, you foul, no, you don't. I think there's a lot of things that come into play here. Uh, I think that you need to factor in, are the three-point shooters on the other team good? Uh, I think, like, if they have Steph Curry, the greatest three-point shooter of all time, that's going to influence my decision. Uh, I think time on the clock matters. For because, sure. I, and I think that's co- where, where I'll give Eme some grace yesterday. I feel like there was not enough time to start playing the foul game. Because there's a really good chance that the guy's going to catch and shoot. And if you're reaching for a foul, well, now it's continuation. And I disagree. There Now that now losing does come into play. Now losing comes into play because if he hits the shot, got if fouled. He, it, now it's a four-point play. They take the lead. Or... Or you go to the line, shoot three, you make the first two, you miss the but third, tip and rebound, game over. NBA, NBA different than college basketball, too, though. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna use the gather. Like, you have to catch and look like you're in the shooting motion in order to get the three free throws. That's why I was specific to say enough, when the ball's on its way, when the guy's trying to catch yeah. the ball, See, you make contact, and then you get two free throws. See, that's where I think that they could have played it. Like, I, I don't think it was poorly defended, by the way. Boban defending the ball, that's a giant man, and that he had to go over the top of Boban and over the top to Fred Van Vliet. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, it was a great throw, it was a great pass, and then Jeremy Grant had to catch, lean, fade, and banked it off the glass. Like, that's not poor defense, that's incredibly bad luck. It took an unbelievable pass over two defenders, one of them seven, is a giant, that he had to lob it over, and then Grant had to hit a miracle shot that went off the glass. Now here's went what off I'd the say. glass. Here's the only thing that I would say if you play devil's advocate and say, why wasn't it? It's because Fred Van Vliet ends up on Grant. Grant 6'9", Grant gets the shot off, even though it was more of a, hail, you know, a hope and a Hershey bar Definitely to put it in. Uh, I think that, you know, for whatever reason, Dylan Brooks wasn't coming back in that game, but you could see Dylan Brooks as a perimeter defender yeah. there on a guy like Grant. More size, more physicality. See, I would put more criticism on the personnel than That's I would what the I decision not to foul. Yeah. And I agree with you, too. Like, in that spot, because you don't want to have an intentional foul before the pass is thrown in. Correct. But when the ball's in flight, go attack go the ball. Him. And if you foul in the attack of the ball, oh, well, they're going to the line to shoot two free throws. So I agree there. Uh, in, in terms of like to let them catch it and foul them, I'm okay not letting. I'm okay not going that route with 1.6. Now, if there's over five seconds and you see them going away from the hoop, yeah, yeah right, go get them, right. go get them. So I think it's kind of case by case. There's an art to the foul there. There is. There's definitely strategy involved there. I agree with you. Attack the ball if you foul them. Who cares? Yep. If you pass interfere, who cares? I would throw one more factor into what you were saying too about when you're factoring in what goes into whether you foul or not and what you do. Timeouts because the team doesn't have any timeouts left. Now, now you're and and the clock is under five or under three. Now you know you're definitely going to foul because of the fact that if they're out of timeouts, you're going to go to the free throw line, whatever the case may be. But they don't have a chance to advance the ball after if they foul you, and you're not. There's not enough time to foul you and get the ball back anyway. Timeouts always factored into me as well yeah, so in terms of when you foul. I don't think there's a binary. We're going to do it this way all the time. We're not because it, it's how many how much times left? Timeouts. How how are their shooters? How are their offensive rebounders? Like if they have a really big team that's good at offensive rebounding, now like even without them making a three point shot as you foul them, the chances of winning still come into play. Like let's say they execute a foul before the shot. So they get two free throws. Okay, you make the first free throw. Now it's a two-point game. You miss the second. You tip it back out into the hands of a shooter, hit a three, game over. So, like, that's something that doesn't get accounted for a lot of time when you talk about fouling in that spot is that it does bring in a a small possibility. I'll grant you that's a small possibility, but it does bring in the possibility where you lose the game outright. If you play straight-up defense, you're not going to lose the game outright. They might hit the three and go to overtime. Um but I thought that the Rockets defended it well. I can't put a whole lot of blame. I think you can nitpick, go go attack the ball in flight. Uh, but I thought they defended it well. Boban, tough to throw over. You know, the smaller, smaller guard. Uh, Ryan Holland says it ended up in the hands of the smallest guy on the floor. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, Grant's 6'7". You have yeah, Fred Van Vliet defending him. 6'7", six, 6'9". Six, six, yeah. I looked it up this morning. I can't remember. It's one of those odd numbers. But he's great. He's at least 6'7". And, and Holland says that it ended up in the hands of the smallest guy on the floor. I was like, no, no, actually, the smallest guy on the floor ended up the guy defending, defending the guy, guy defending that was yeah, very yeah. much taller than him. Yeah, That's like, what yeah. was bothering me. Yeah, 713-780-ESPN. It was weird that Brooks never came into the game yesterday. Oh, you could see him pouting at the end of the game on the bench, they, too. They asked Ime. He was like, well, I like, I like the defense that, uh, that Holiday had on Simmons. 
okay, well, you just brought in Boban for one specific play. Why aren't you bringing in Dylan Brooks yeah. for one specific play? Remember the one game Jalen was sitting for the – I think it was something more. And then they pulled him in overtime. But you could see him pout. His body language was awful on the bench. I think there was pulled. something greater in play. Yeah. I think there was something greater in play. Uh, 713-780-3776. Killer Bees uh, broadcasting live from the decoy uh, in Spring Branch. We return. It's mock draft season. What would the Houston Texans do at number 23 according to this gentleman? And what would we do if we were in the shoes, the little itty-bitty shoes, of Nick Casario. 713-780-3776. Killer Bees broadcasting live from the decoy in Spring Branch on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. I love a good drink at the end of the day. And finally, a good drink that you can feel really good about. Uh, this is it's January. We're still trying to keep our resolutions right. We're trying to make cleaner, better decisions. Well, no better place to start than with your spirits and by switching to Gentle Ben. I like a good drink, the vodka, the gin, the bourbon, all in that rotation for me. And Gentle Ben Spirits does it better than anybody else. How? Well, they have a Perseido technology revolutionary. Nothing else in the market like it. It eliminates impurities for the cleanest, smoothest spirit you'll ever taste. We're trying to make cleaner decisions. A purification of Gentle Ben is unrivaled. You'll love what's not in it, including undesirable acids. These acids take the enjoyment out of your drinks. Well, Gentle Ben gets rid of those undesirable acids, so you can enjoy. You can enjoy those uh, Gentle Ben drinks you have each and every night. Try a sip of Gentle Ben vodka, gin, straight bourbon, or cask-strength bourbon, and compare it to what you drink, and you'll never go back. I've been a Gentle Ben man ever since I had that first sip. You get all the flavor, none of the burn. Smooth, clean, eliminates that burn. Enjoy your drink. Don't work through your drink. Look for Gentle Ben at the liquor store. Ask for your favorite restaurant or bar. Just head to the Gentle Ben tasting room. Stop by Ben's Bar at the Toyota Center and get some uh, Gentle Ben on your way to your seats to watch the Rockets or a concert. And if you go online, GentleBin.com, you can learn more about Gentle Ben Spirits. But you can also order online. Add the vodka, add the bourbon, add the gin straight to your cart, and they'll have it delivered straight to your doorsteps. Can't beat that. Order now at GentleBin.com. Crafted in Texas by Ricky Ford, an A&M grad, Gentle Ben, period. The Killer Bees have relocated their hive. It's at the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios, which is currently located at the decoy. Let's join the boys, Joel Blank and Jeremy Bredham. It's a throwback Thursday at the decoy tonight. $2 off all tequila cocktails and shots, $100 bottles, Tito's, Espolin, or Fireball. I've never heard of that middle one. Sounds good, though. Have you ever heard of it, Andrew? It's the tequila, right? Is it, was that how you pronounce it? I think so. Espolin? Oh, $100. Tastes to look good. Look it up. I know that. Uh, throwback Man, well, Thursday. Better. What's that? Better. Yeah. For 100 bones. Oh, it tastes really good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can't get the deal anywhere else. Nowhere else in the city has deals like that. Uh, ladies' night Friday, $5 house wine. Big sip Saturday coming up, and then treat yourself Sunday. $5 off beer and mimosa towers and punch bowls. $6 specialty cocktails. Sunday conference championship specials. $3 fireball. $19 100-ounce Love Street Tower. Uh, good for you or good to share? $100 Don Julio bottles as well. 24-foot indoor TV wall, 185-inch outdoor giant screen, three sand volleyball courts and cornhole lanes, and it's only cost $10 all of February. Can't be deals like that. Uh, VIP boots and bottle service available for rent. Top Houston DJs and uh, perfect for happy hours, birthday parties, corporate events, and team building too, like the, uh, the trust falls. Day one, Donna was telling us about 713 780 ESPN. 7535, when the Rockets were inbounding the ball with the lead and two seconds left in the fourth quarter, why not just toss the ball 15 to 20 feet straight up in the air? It'll kill at least two to four seconds, and the rest are unlikely to call a foul off the ball. I mean, they're pretty quick with fouling the inbounder, and a lot of times they're still going to call the foul even if the person who has the ball releases it. Yep. Like, you can still foul somebody if they don't have the ball. Like, if yep. it's right after the release of a pass ball, or yep. tossing it up in the air. So, I think it's easier said than done. I don't hate the idea. I've always liked the idea of just throwing it up the floor. Like, just throw it towards the other team's baseline. Well, one of the memories I have is Magic Johnson in the playoffs against Portland. He did that. In the playoffs, in a deciding game, and it's a similar situation, he just took it and kind of – Chest passed yeah. it slowly down the floor. It bounced out. Time ran out. Ball game over. Series over. Yeah, I always like the idea of the uh, of passing it to the baseline. More than throwing it up in the air. Because yeah. what if you don't kill the clock? Like You're more than likely going to if you toss it up a certain amount of feet into the air. But what if you don't? What if you under-toss it and all of a sudden it just goes right into the hand of a trailblazer with one second left or half a second left? So I like the idea of getting it away from your goal. But it's, I like the idea in theory. Easier said than done. Uh, 0294, I feel like Van Vliet should be smart enough to notify. He's not young like the rest of the guys. 
Depends on the foul you're looking for. Because he may have talked about it in the postgame. He said, we didn't really want to foul there if they caught the ball because there's not enough time. Because he knows they're about to shoot. So I like your idea. When the ball is in the air on the pass, attack the ball. If you run through the guy who's supposed to catch the pass, you foul him there. He goes to the line to shoot two, whatever. Uh, but once the ball's caught, I don't think you can foul with No, 1. you can't, because now it's too risky, because now, to your point, they're going to get three free throws instead of two, and then you're in a situation where you're creating an opportunity to tie the game. But if you go back and look at the replay, Fred's head is completely turned. That had to be something that was discussed in the huddle prior to, and that had to be, you know, uh, he had to be instructed to do that, because at the time, the way the inbounds pass came in and running away from the inbounder, Fred's head was completely back to the inbound pass, and I don't think he actually knew where the ball was. He was waiting for Grant to catch the ball. Seven one three seven eight zero espn uh, HRMP listener line. This guy says, will the Texans trade up to get Marvin Harrison Jr. to pair him back with Stroud? Highly doubtful. Yeah, highly I mean, doubtful. What are you giving up to do that? You would have to trade this year's first, next year's first, and the first year first next year. Yeah, that ain't happening. It would take, it would take I think, three firsts. Right? I think you're it's probably right, and I, think, I don't think there's any scenario that's happening. No, I, 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 that's why I would say highly doubtful. Three eight seven eight. It'd be, it'd be fun. It'd be a lot of fun. I don't know if it'd be Ooh, wise, but it'd be a lot of fun. No, no doubt about that. Speaking of the uh, the draft, Will McFadden, who uh, writes for SI. I don't know how he still has a job. <laughs> well, they they haven't pulled the plug completely. Yeah. Well, best of luck to Will McFadden. Whenever you know, this might be the last time we ever hear hear of Will McFadden. Might be the last mock draft that he ever produces. Uh, but he produced this mock, and we like to play the little game where we see who the Texans draft and the all these mocks, and then we uh, take a look at the next two picks and we we pick who we would pick. Uh, we also take a look at the top ten. Caleb Williams, number one. Drake May, two. Jaden Daniels, third. No surprise there. Marvin Harrison, four. I feel like every mock we've seen has that. Yep. The only one that's been different was Kuyper, and he flip-flopped Daniels and and, um, and, May, and Drake May. So it's still been pretty similar. Five, he has Brock Bowers to the Chargers. So again, Bowers goes fifth. Malik Neighbors, six to the Giants. Joe Alt, number seven to Tennessee. They need offensive line help. Latou to the Falcons for Raheem Morris. Give him a defensive player. Adunze the receiver from Washington goes to Chicago at 9. And then Olu Fashanu. No idea if I'm saying it right. Just say it with conviction. Uh, offensive tackle, Penn State. They have going number 10 to the Jets. All right, scroll down. Scroll down to the Houston Texans. It's nice to have to scroll down to the Houston Texans for a change. Byron Murphy, defensive tackle from Texas. How would you feel about the idea of the Texans adding to their defensive line with the standout defensive tackle from Texas? I'd love it. I'd love it. It'd be a perfect fit. It goes with what, exactly what we heard D'Amico say in his end-of-the-year press conference when he was talking about we have to get better. We, we need a dominant offensive, I mean, defensive front. That's what he's looking at. That's what he's had experience with. If that's what he wants and he goes and targets a guy like this, we've talked about him in the past when we were talking about just D'Amico's comments, let alone any of these mock drafts. I think it's a fantastic fit. I think it'd be the perfect draft pick, and it's definitely a position group of need. Yeah, I would love this, too. Um, he's a really good football player. And he eats up tons of space. He's athletic. I think he can create some interior pressure, too, which is fun. I love interior pressure from a defense, especially if you have an edge of at least Will Anderson, maybe John Grenard, because it allows those guys to feast. Like, they can't step into the pocket because you've got interior pressure. Kind of puts them into the attack zone, I'll call it, for the defensive ends. And, yeah, like it seems like this is priority number one for the Houston Texans this offseason is improving the run defense, even though it was much improved, much better. You did get gashed by a few teams, a couple of teams a few times, and then helping out the run game offensively. So it fits the M.O. we think of what the Texans' Plus, desires are going to be. On top of what you said, teams struggle to, will have a, a more difficult time running the football, too. If you get a guy that's that disruptive in the middle of the line while you've got edge rushers that are putting pressure and, and sealing the outside – you have the, the makings of exactly what D'Amico wants. That's a recipe for success with the way D'Amico calls plays on defense with the kind of other personnel you have on this roster. He'd be absolutely fantastic to be disruptive, to be able to stop the run, to be able to put pressure on the quarterback in the middle, and then let those guys feast on the outside. Yeah, this would, uh, this would be a good one. Let's do our little game where we take a look at the next two. So we have the option if we're Casario, according to this mock draft, uh, rest in peace to this guy who's never going to work again. Uh, Byron Murphy to the Texans. He has Jordan Morgan, an offensive tackle, going to the Dallas Cowboys at 24. And then he has the uh, Green Bay Packers picking Nate Wiggins, the cornerback from Clemson. So if you had your choice of one of those three, who are you selecting if oh, you're the Texans? Murphy, without doubt. This is the perfect fit This in this scenario alone. Corner would be something you'd look at, but you're, you're, it depends on what you do with Stevie Nelson. We talked about that yesterday. Uh, you don't need another tackle because you already got your two tackles locked up with, with Tunsil and Howard. So 
this is the slam drag, this is the easiest of the draft so far to break down because this is the absolute choice for the Houston Texans. Yeah, slam dunk to me. This, this would be uh, this. I would be very satisfied with this pick uh, if these are my three options. Byron Murphy, I'm not batting an eye, and I would feel really happy about it. Uh, today, I, I did my first ever, uh, well, first this year, pro football focus mock draft. I think mm. I'm going to do this every single workday. You can only do three rounds now. Easy you on to, quarterbacks now. I, I, might, I might have a day where I draft all three quarterbacks okay, just to see just the comments. Careful. So I'm a sarcastic person, I think. Some people might not realize that. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit sarcastic at times. Dr- I'm going to be. You hide it well because you have I, a dry I, I delivery. I, I do hide it pretty well because um, I struggle to interpret it sometimes. <laughs> I, that's that. I, I think it's 100 percent accurate. Yes. Uh, but I, I definitely very dry. Definitely very sarcastic. Uh, zero. Just being honest, not, Andrew. No, that's a, you're, I would describe my personality that exact same way. I don't take almost anything very seriously. Uh, although sometimes I can be a serious person, if that makes any sense. But I'm going to post these every single work day. I'm not going to do it when I have a day off. Are you kidding me? But I'm going to post this every single day. This is an Easter egg for our listeners to have fun with the people who don't listen to the show but only interact on social media and just make fun of the comments that are roasting these picks every single day. I'm telling you right now that I'm being sarcastic. I mean, I'm going to be semi-serious with the picks, but this is kind of a sarcastic bringing levity to the mock draft season where I'm going to post this every single work day, and let's pay attention to the commenters and how seriously they take it. I just want you all to focus on that, okay. and we'll make fun of it. Uh, all It'll be a, le- a little listener Easter egg, and we'll make fun of it each and every day, too. All right, 713-780-ESPN, HRMP listener line. Uh, Byron Murphy to the Texans. You cool with that? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. When we return, Bad Tag Boulevard featuring my wife and Andrew Carlson. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and Not ESPN together. 92.5. Before we go to the break, I want to tell you about the, the, the absolute game changer for you this weekend, regardless of how the games actually go. If you're having a watch party, if you're having people over, if you want to entertain and really please your guests, I encourage you to get your local grocery store and get you some Daisy Dips. Daisy Dips are the best, and now they take all of the work out of it for you because, like, growing up in the Midwest, my mom would always make the French onion dip, but she would get the sour cream. She would get the soup mix. She would get all the spices she would try to get it just right now you don't have to do that you just go to the grocery store get yourself the french onion or get yourself the absolute best ranch you're going to taste and now everything tastes better you can do it with wings you can do it with pizza veggie dips chips you name it they can do it they make everything taste better regardless if the game's a stinker or not you're going to enjoy your company and they're going to enjoy your food more with daisy dips just go to your grocery store right now available where you find the dips and in the dairy section you get the daisy dips you're a champion no matter what happens in the game this weekend so many bad takes on sports what do you do with all of them only there is something in your head to control the things you say well the killer bees use them to build an actual street where they can get run over for all eternity 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 what's that street bad take boulevard never a bad take to be out at the decoy in spring branch in fact it's a great take especially sunday for the conference championships three dollar fireball 19 dollar 100 an ounce love street tower and 100 dollar don julio bottles all sunday uh if you want to come out today throwback thursday two dollar off all tequila cocktails 100 dollar bottles tito's espolon espolon i think it's espolon or a uh, fireball as well so three options to choose from all are fantastic uh, get out here to the decoy today, tomorrow, every day. Every day is a good time. All right, let's get to some bad takes on Bad Take Boulevard. Uh, ladies first. So we'll start with my wife. I'm interested we'll Start in with one. my wife. Uh, we don't discriminate. We don't discriminate whenever we discuss Bad Take Boulevard. I think my son made Bad Take Boulevard before the older one. Uh, we put that blind guy on Bad Take Boulevard. Yeah, we so we don't discriminate yep. on Bad And Andrew's about to join the, the list of bad takes. And, and uh, Alex put Andrew on the list for something else, too. So I was in Provo on uh, on Tuesday. We had a game against BYU. I was there in Provo calling that game. My wife for the she got some she picked up a pizza for dinner. She picked I'm not going to say where she picked up a pizza for dinner in case they ever want to sponsor the Killer Bees. Um, it was a pretzel crust. It was a stuffed pretzel crust. It had instead of marinara underneath like the cheese and the pepperoni it had cheese whiz oh no it had cheese whiz oh. replacing the marinara it was a stuffed pretzel crust that had like these flakes of salt that were way too salty it was the worst bite of pizza that i've ever had in my life and i will go as so far to say that i might not ever eat pizza again this experience might have ruined pizza for the rest of my life, and I owe it all thanks to my beautiful wife. I think you 
get a lot of credit for at least trying it. I, I, I mean, that's all I had for lunch. I actually ate the whole slice. I would have looked at it and gone, no. You know how bad. First of all, I'm from Wisconsin. I'm a cheese connoisseur. Yeah. I'm going to tell you that cheese whiz is absolutely crap, especially, and I always kill it on the Philly cheesesteaks in Philadelphia. I didn't know it was there. So the like, fact that they're using my cheese surprise. whiz and no pizza yeah. sauce? Could you imagine, like, you're asking for a pizza and they're asking you with whiz or without whiz? Like, that's a that's a cheesecake. Yeah. That's a cheesesteak yeah. thing. Yeah. That's a when Philly doubt, thing. pass on the whiz. It had cheese whiz instead of marinara. It had and it, That was the worst part. That was, and imagine my surprise. Like, I'm expecting a nice pepperoni pizza, stuffed crust. I'm expecting a healthy amount of marinara. Uh-uh. It's cheese whiz. So there's no marinara, no pizza None. sauce on the entire pizza? None. Oh, come on now. All cheese whiz is the You know what that sauce. is? That's a flat hoagie. That is not a freaking, that's not it a was, pizza? It was so disgusting. That's terrible. So disgusting. So whenever I, I told my wife, I mean, I, I warned her that she was going to be on Bad Take Blower. She was like, no, she didn't want to make the list. Kind of what Andrew's reaction was when Andrew made the list earlier today. H- have you seen the weather out? I'm, sure, I'm assuming most of you that are listening to us uh, that you're probably out in your cars. Do so you see the weather? Now, if you're the Twitchers, you're in your mother's basement, so you probably don't have, you haven't seen the weather in two weeks. But it's a gorgeous day. It's yep. a beautiful day. So I, I pull up to the decoy today. I'm like, oh, cool. Like This is going to be a sunglass radio show day. We're going to be outside taking in the elements. We're in the corner of the building. A beautiful building. Beautiful building, wall-to-wall TVs. They're taking care of. Beautiful spot. But we're inside, not outside. Andrew Carlson's the one that set us up today. Yeah, I walked in thinking the exact same thing. When I was parking the car, I'm looking for the awning or the little umbrella and the table mm-hmm. outside that we normally use going, man, after four days of just crap weather, this is going to be so fun to just kick back outside. And then I'm like, wait a minute. They're not. And then I'm not. Yeah. I'm like, where are they? And then also I go, oh, he didn't. And then I walk in and go, yep, we're inside. I thought, that I, I forgot the day. I thought, oh, it must be tomorrow. No, they're inside. What? What? Andrew, do you have any defense for yourself? It's not just my decision. Who, who, who else? Who else can we blame? There might be some other people that I work with who would have preferred that we be inside versus outside. Well, they make the list, too. For Connor what reason? also make the to list. To save your ability to, to, or to avoid, like, sunburn and... Melanoma, or I, I think just to for a general level of comfort and safety. Safety, safety. Who's coming look, after look, us? We, we don't have a lot of coverage out here in the in the sun. You know, we don't have the umbrellas out here. They don't cover you. We're entirely. not out here name calling to get other people fired up. We entire, just, we're doing a great show. An entire area shaded. Look, I, I will take the majority of the responsibility because at the end of the day, it's my decision, and I set us up inside. Mm. Yeah, bad right. call. That's why you made the list. Of outside <laughs> Blankers has a couple. He had uh, Ian Fitzpatrick, who does ESPN National Radio. He was listening to him the other day. Uh, he said to take BYU over Houston in Provo. Well, how'd that one turn out? Yeah, how'd that work for you, Ian? And we do you the solid, put you on when Joe George is on vacation, and that's plenty. Yeah. And, but, and then what do you do in return? You go and say, take, bet against the Cougars? Yeah, you take that L, buddy. Yeah, well... BYU or the Cougars, too. But I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. The uh, total respect for BYU, though. That, that place is awesome. Marriott Center is awesome. The student There's section is awesome. There's nothing else to awesome. do there, Jeremy. I mean, you can walk around. take it. I mean, it's a beautiful area. Yeah, you can get yourself an ice-cold milk. Yeah, but, I mean, you can hike if you like that. You can take a look at the mountains. Oh, the like, mountains beautiful. are beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a beautiful place. And they're, they're a, it's a great fan base, too. Uh, Blankers, also, you wanted to put John Heyman on Bad Take Boulevard. John Heyman absolutely deserved it. You heard me go absolutely, you know, completely. I, have, I was going to say something I shouldn't say, but I went all out on the fact that I just think that he, that was as ridiculous and outlandish. It's one thing to think that, but to admit it openly and write about how idiotic you were in the fact that the reasons why you didn't put you you couldn't couldn't put Billy Wagner in the Hall of Fame, and then you justified him being a top ten reliever all time. John, you made the list. You should stay there permanently. <laughs> yeah, not much respect for Heyman. Um, Brian puts Michael Wilbon. On the list, he of course PTI. There was the big conversation over the weekend: the Bucks and the Lions. The Bucks were down by fourteen. They scored a touchdown. They made it an eight-point game, and they went for two. And a lot of people don't understand the rationale. I mean, my my friend group was was arguing about this too. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of going for two in that spot because if you convert, well, now you just need the touchdown extra point, and you win the game outright. If you don't convert, we well, still have another opportunity to tie it. Uh, and I, I want to play for the win there. I'm not really that interested in the tie. Some other people would say, well, just go for two after the second touchdown. Well, now you don't have any insurance if you miss the two-point conversion. So I'm a fan of it. A lot of the analytical people are fans of it. The, the analytics say it's the right move. But a lot of the old heads and the people that don't know ball uh, think that you should still kick it there. Here was Will Bond on his hate for analytics. 
the two-point conversion attempt that left them eight down. Don't start me with the two-point conversions. And the analytics say go for it. Do the analytics say go for it no matter who's going for it? So if you and I were on the field, the analytics say go for it. It's the stupidest, laziest, lamest thing I've ever heard for reasoning <laughs> in competition. And I hate when announcers just buy it without questioning it. The analytics say go for it. See, I, I'm a numbers guy, but I, I, I actually say no to a lot of analytics because I do think that other things come into play that analytics don't account for. Now, something that I have noticed when it comes to analytics, though, are when people don't understand the analytics, instead of trying to understand it, they just poo-poo the analytics. And I think this is what old head Michael Wilbon's doing here. Yeah, I don't like it from the simple standpoint of I'd get the first touchdown extra point and know that if I'm in a position, but then weighing factors like time on the clock, where we are in the game, you know, you're obviously on the road where that would, it would make more sense. I hated it. I hated it at the time, but I hated it because it was the first of the two. If you get the, if you get the the first one, get the extra point. Now you know it, you could you could you could base your decision. You have less forward. information though, Blankers. You have less information if you kick it on the first touchdown. But for me, I'm always playing for, especially a playoff game. It's if it's win or go home. I'll I'll take my chances. I actually thought I think the best play is take the extra point both times. I just, just yeah. I just I don't like the fact that they went for two at all. But I really hated the fact that they went for two after the first touchdown. I, I'm on the complete opposite side of you. Like I don't I don't want to kick the extra points there and go to overtime. Like I I'm the road team. I I want to try to win the game in regulation. And the best chance you have to like first off, it's very long odds to score the two touchdowns touchdowns anyways but I want to go that if I'm trying to win I'm going to need a two-point conversion if I go for it on the first touchdown that means if I miss it I still have a second opportunity to tie the game if you go for it on the second touchdown and you miss it you lose game's over you have zero insurance well that's what I'm saying if there was time left on the clock if you still had time there's the onside kick there's the chance that and based on your timeouts and everything else there's still plenty you still have the opportunity to handle the situation differently but if time is running out you're right then it's a totally different scenario the uh another one that brian wants to put on here is ryan clark uh ryan brian why don't you set this one up i know a little bit what ryan had to say uh, but i think that you have some more notes on this and i want you to set it up to do it it's full justice and full credit In October, Ryan Clark earlier this season, in October, uh, decided to. I mean, he. I, I think he went a little too far with it, but is trying to kind of basically walk back some of his takes. Originally in October, he fought back against. Uh, I believe it was Shannon Sharp saying that Brock Purdy was in fact elite, and then decided to walk it back just a few days ago, talking about how Brock Purdy is not uh, not elite at all. So it was a weird walk back. I don't know if we have time for both pieces of audio, uh, but Go that's kind of the setup. Go ahead, Brian. Run them both. Shane, doing what he does, where he does it, with the people he does it with, He's a top five quarterback. Not only is he a top five quarterback, he's a top two MVP candidate. Brock Purdy is elite. When I'm watching that game Sunday night, I finally stopped fighting it. And I said, you know what? It doesn't matter where he comes from. It doesn't matter how he got there. It doesn't matter who surrounds him. Brock Purdy is an elite quarterback. Okay. The single hardest thing I had to do this year (laughs) was act like Brock Purdy deserved to be in the conversations with the other people we're mentioning in that tweet. Mm. Because he was playing extremely well and operating in that offense and distributing the ball to Kittle and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, (laughs) we had to continue to include him in conversations with the Lamar Jacksons. We had to continue to include him in conversations with the Josh Allen. Those things are not alike. Brock Purdy doesn't raise the level of play of anyone around him. So, again, the one where he called him elite was in October. He's sitting there arguing with Shannon Sharp, talking about how Brock Purdy's not only elite, he's a top-five quarterback in the NFL, he's a top-two MVP candidate, and three months later he's telling us all that he was forced into the take, which is weird to begin with. But Maybe he's forced to talk about, like, could he win the MVP, but he wasn't forced into calling Brock Purdy elite, and now he's trying to walk it back. This, this is the problem I have, is that Ryan Clark's one of the guys that I always wanted to try and get on the show because I believe he's so good at what he does by being outspoken, being honest, being himself. This sounds like 
he he's he's implying that he you know he had to like he was having to be an ESPN puppet because he's on air and the network is you know trying to encourage and I don't see Ryan Clark being that way. It would be one thing if other people were pumping up Ryan uh, uh, Purdy all year, Brock Purdy, and then all of a sudden he finally had to kind of poo-poo it and tell everybody this is the reality. But the fact that it was him saying it and then him dispelling it is a bad luck. This to me sounds like you have a. Uh... It's a hot take artist, is what it sounds and like. I don't to think me. he's that guy. Though. Uh, I disagree completely. Really? I think he's super hot takey. I think he's just brutally like, honest. What did, he, what did he he said the other day? He called Sean Payton a thug. He called Sean Payton a thug the other day. Is imagine he, if somebody imagine yeah, that's a if, bit of a hot imagine take. if Dan Orlovsky called D'Amico Ryan's a thug. Well, How would, would that yeah, go? You're right. Like you're right. I, I think he's a hot take artist, and that's what he fell into a trap of being a hot take artist and forgot his take, and <laughs> he got he got exposed. It's a bad look. It's a real bad look. All right, 713-780-ESPN. If uh, we missed any people that belong on Bad Take, uh, just uh, just uh, tweet them at Pac-Man Joel. He'll, he loves to see all of the, the bad takes that you have each and every week. When we return on the uh, Killer Bees broadcasting live from the decoy, we've spent a lot of time telling the Texans how to spend their money, their cap savings, but how about how they can create some more? Who are some potential cap casualties for the Houston Texans this offseason? 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. How can you save some money on Valentine's Day but looking like the hero for your significant other? By getting Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage on Valentine's Day. Head over to TexMexGarage.com. Reserve your table today for this Valentine's dinner special at Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage. You can get dinner for two for less than $40. Where are you getting that on Valentine's Day? Nowhere. Where are you getting the quality of food that you get at Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage for under $40 on Valentine's Day? Nowhere. So reserve your table now, TexMexGarage.com, and impress that significant other in your life or someone you're looking to make your significant other. Dinner for two starts with two house or pineapple mezcal mar- uh, margaritas. That's fantastic. That's a great start to the night. Also, your appetizer, Tex-Mex queso. I love Tex-Mex queso before my fajitas, which you're also getting. Combo fajitas with bacon-wrapped shrimp for your entree. And then afterwards, something sweet, a big piece of shareable thres leches or Mexican carrot cake. Dinner for two, $39. Margaritas, queso, fajitas, bacon-wrapped shrimp, dessert with dressed leches or the Mexican carrot cake. Impress that significant other this Valentine's and do it now. Stop procrastinating like we always do. Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage, the best Tex-Mex in Houston. The fantastic fajitas, margaritas that hit just right, happy hours seven days a week, weekend brunch deals that will blow you away, perfect game day spot too. Get your Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage margaritas on uh, jumbo margaritas. On game days when the Rockets are playing for only $8. $1 off draft beer whenever the Rockets are playing as well. Or if you want to just take that home, order the Tex-Mex Fiesta, the, the uh, Fiesta Packs from Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage. Margaritas to go, too. Yeah, margaritas to go. Stop by Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage, Houston Garden Oaks, Oak Forest on West 34th Street, and order now at TexMexGarage.com and book that Valentine's Day dinner special. Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage, Tex-Mex from scratch. And you're back with the Killer Bees inside the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios at the Decoy. Here are the Bees Knees themselves, Joel and Jeremy. He's blank. I'm Brandon. We are at the Decoy in Spring Branch where today is a throwback Thursday. Daily specials each and every day. Today, $2 off all tequila, cocktails, and shots. Uh, be here for the conference championship games on Sunday. Look, can't wait. Uh, Ravens, Chiefs, Niners, Lions. Should be a fun day of football. Uh, this is your spot to watch. A $3 fireball, a $19 100-ounce Love Street Towers, and $100 uh, Don Julio bottles as well. Speaking of money. We know that the Texans have money to spend uh, this offseason. Some people say it's upwards to 70, but now you look at the reserve. Con- I always look at over the cap. Uh, Texans cap and over the cap.com. They do a really good job of like getting down to the weeds, like res- futures contracts. Uh, you also have to allot for the draft picks that you're, you're projected to make. Now, a lot of movement there because you might draft those. But as of this moment right now today, uh, over the cap projects the Texans to have $57.7 million in salary cap space. So it's not quite the $70 million, uh, like we've seen out there. It's 57.7, which is still a lot. I mean, it's still more than nearly every team in the NFL. And there's still ways to get 
more salary cap space. We, we see this each and every year in the offseason. Uh, we know that NFL contracts, a lot of them are not guaranteed. Uh, you can get out of contracts, get some savings on some players. So here are some options of how the Houston Texans can create some more cap space with some potential cap casualties. And we've talked about a couple of these, uh, the exact figures maybe we haven't talked about. The first one, Robert Woods. You can get out of Robert Woods' contract, which still has one year left on the deal, and you can save $5 million. So Robert Woods stays on the team, or you cut Robert Woods and you create $5 million more in cap space. This according to Over the Cap. These are all pre-June 1st cuts. Are you cutting Robert Woods and saving $5 million? Timber! <laughs> Goodbye, Bobby Trees. Bobby Trees is gone. I'm gone. All right, I'm on, the, uh, I'm on, I'm on board with you. With Robert Woods, I'm saving the five million. Robert Woods, he was getting outsnapped by John Mechie, and he, as far as I know, Robert Woods was was relatively healthy for the Ravens game, and he was getting outsnapped by John Mechie. Uh, I move on as well, and I'm cut, like right now. You even if you move on from Robert Woods, you still have Nico Collins, you still have Tank Dell, you have Mechie and Hutchinson that you would still have under contract. So you're probably going to bring in two more receivers, which we all expect him to sign a veteran free agent. And Noah Brown's gone. He's free and we're, he's they're free. not resigning. Now, yet. do you bring back Noah Brown? I mean, you, I mean, if you get by, it depends on what price, right? Yeah. I, I probably am done with Noah Brown. I want to sign a solid free agent that I can count on to be one of my top three receivers. Now, I'm, not, I'm probably not shopping at the top of the market. I'm not looking at T. Higgins. I'm not looking at uh, Mike Evans because I want to spend the money elsewhere. And you're going to have to sign. You have to, you have to replace ten starters. Like, there's currently, if you look at the Texans' depth chart of who is back next season under contract, you have ten starters to fill. So I, I don't want to shop at the top of the market here. Right. I want to add a veteran free agent that's solid. Like, a Gabe Davis would be okay. Uh, I'm curious what a Hollywood Brown is going to ask for. Now, he might price himself out of your I range. Like Gabe Davis. Gabe he, Davis is yeah, solid as a yeah, three. So, like, sure. that type of player, pair with Tank, pair with Collins. And then I want to draft a rookie in around the third round or so and see if, if, see if Nick Casario can find another Nico or Tank who are also third rounders. So, gone on Robert Woods. $5 million in savings there. The next one. Jimmy Ward. Jimmy Bye-bye. Ward, hard to get on the football field this yes. year. I don't think he was, I think he's a shell of himself at this no stage question. of his career as well. You can save $4 million if you cut Jimmy Ward. Yeah, gone. Bye-bye, see you later. This was a guy that was Miko's guy in, in San Francisco, and all he was was hurt all year. You couldn't keep him on the field, and when he was on the field, he was okay. Uh, I, I just don't think that the, he's worth bringing back, even if he comes at a discounted rate after you cut him and, and say you want to bring him back. Maybe because of injuries midseason, but it's, I'm with you. I think, I think there's not a lot of tread left on the tires. He couldn't stay healthy, and I think you can find someone to replace Jimmy Ward and be just as good, if not better. See, this is also where I want to improve. Like, I, I, I don't sure. think you got great play out of the safety positions in, in general. Now, I don't think you're going to move on from Jalen Petrie, so you're hoping that Jalen Petrie gets more development. But how about the safety opposite of Petrie? I think it's going to have to be somebody new, whether it's in the draft or whether it's in free agency. I don't want Jimmy Ward to be a starter on next year's team. And if I can save $4 million for what is going to be considered a backup for me, I'm doing it. Plus, Jimmy Ward was brought in in part to not only be a veteran, but to help Petrie get better and develop more in D'Amico's scheme because he's played it before, and when he's not on the field and he's not around, he can't do that. Yeah, see, that's like if, if he played every single game, maybe this is a different conversation. It probably is a different conversation. Uh, even though I didn't love his production, if he would have played in every single game as opposed to missing seven in all of the postseason and finishing the year on the IR – might be a different conversation, but he yeah, missed sure. he missed seven of your ten games. He missed actually missed nine of your nineteen games because you went to the postseason and played two games there. So I I'm saving four million dollars. I'm moving on from Jimmy Ward. Uh, the next one maybe a little interesting. It uh, is. Davis Mills, who will be a third year on his rookie deal. Uh, you could save just under $3 million, 2.99. You can save just under $3 million if you were to cut Davis Mills pre-June 1st. I'm fine. Bye. Uh, oh, wow. I, I don't need Davis Mills. Uh, I would love to say move along from Davis Mills if a team is willing to trade for him and give you a, a, a fourth, fifth, fifth-round pick. You know, you can move on from him. Look, I, I, know you, I think when you know that Case was making less than two and Case was the guy that really you went to at, the, at a very important stre- uh, point in the season, um, you're at a point now because last year I think that they were also trying to kind of soft and smooth uh, – 
Davis Mills a little bit. They were trying to actually make sure that his feathers weren't ruffled and that, you know, maybe whether, whether another team was interested or they still wanted him to believe he had a chance. We're past all of that. Case did what he had to do when you called on him. Now, long-term, did it work out in terms of the next game after that? Did he struggle with the Browns? Absolutely, but that defense was way better. Um, but I- I'm good with a veteran big brother backup uh, uh, for C.J. and or other options than Davis Mills. See, I- I- I'm keeping Mills because the going rate for a backup quarterback in the NFL is like over $5 million. Uh, Mills is okay-ish, and plus, I don't want to. I don't like. I like continuity. Like, I like the Bobby Slowick that he looks like he's going to come back. So there's continuity there. I think the quarterback room was a solid one. Like, I think it helped C.J. Stroud a lot. Uh, that was you could probably say most of that's with Case Keenum, but. You know, is next year, who's your better option to start three games if you needed to start three games? Is it, is it Case or is it Davis? I think that's a real debate. It is a debate. So I, I, I don't – and because you're probably going to have to bring in a third quarterback if you do move on from a Davis Mills or a Case Keenum, this is not enough of a savings for me to move on. I'm pro- Now, if you get a fourth or a fifth round draft pick for Davis Mills, that's a different conversation. Because yep. I, I would be – I'd be open to that. I'd be open to trade him for a fourth rounder, absolutely. But – if I don't get an offer better than that, I'm probably just letting so, him play out his rookie contract. That's not a big enough savings for me for what's probably going to be your backup quarterback. Don't you also have to at least consider and weigh in the, the possibility of the fact that now you're going to become a better team? And we've, we've seen how better teams have focused a little bit more on the backup quarterback. God, God forbid it happening, but if your starter gets knocked down and knocked out or is out for a couple weeks with an injury and you have to kind of – makeshift it's better to have a guy that can carry you through the Teddy Bridgewater type quarterback that can carry you through a couple of weeks and, and make sure the team doesn't miss a I beat. Mean, Case went one and one. He did but I'm saying and that was with a team that what didn't have the kind of expectations we talked about to start the show now with a team that's going to be considered to be a playoff type team that has expectations of of going further sure. you have to set the tone of hey every game's more important now because we have to try and get playoff positioning no matter when it happens in the season. If you go sign that type of quarterback, though, it's probably going to cost you. Let's, let's be conservative and say $7 million, and then let's subtract the $3 million in savings from Davis Mills. That's still $4 million. Like, do you want to spend that on a backup quarterback where your season's probably tanked no matter what if Stroud gets hurt, or do you spend that on the many holes that you have? You say that, but like I said, I brought up Teddy for a reason, too, because of the fact that Bridgewater in, in New Orleans, and, and I think he did it in Miami as well. But in New Orleans, it was the one that was extremely highlighted because of the fact that he, he went 5-0 and in a five-game span, that, and the Saints had playoff aspirations, Super Bowl aspirations, and he was able to keep them afloat. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I bet you they didn't guarantee that Bridgewater could have done that, though. Like, no, I mean, right. But so, even if you go 3-2, and 4-1, and one, it's way better than saying sure, but who's know, that our guy? season's over because CJ goes down. I mean, I, I, gotta, I have to see who's out there. I mean, is Jameis that guy? I do. I wouldn't. No, I don't think Jameis <laughs> like, is that guy. I, I lean just keep Davis. You're on the other side of that. We'll mark that. There's a few other names on the other side, too. Uh, how else can the Texans save some money and create more cap space where they already have a lot entering this offseason? It's Killer Bees broadcasting live from the Decoy and Spring Branch on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 95. ESPN 95. ESPN.